of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are, these are the words of a man who, who saw Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who lived with Jesus, who saw him crucified, and who saw him with his own two eyes alive after, after the crucifixion. You know, throughout this series, we've been looking at the claims of Jesus, what he, the claims that he made about himself, and how they reveal his identity and redefine our relationship with God. John had a purpose in writing this gospel, and it's included towards the end of it. He said that he wrote these words, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You know, we've called this series, I Am. Now those two two words, I am, is the name that God used to reveal himself to Moses in the Old Testament. They speak of his eternality, that he is without beginning and end because he is the beginning and the end. And incredibly, Jesus uses these words seven times throughout the gospel to refer to himself. Seven declarations to refer to himself. He declared that I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. You know, to know Jesus is to know God the creator, sustainer, chief shepherd, saviour, truth, and life giver. And this morning we are going to be looking at the last of these seven declarations. I am the true vine. So if you've got your, your Bibles or you've got your devices, then you can, you can turn there or you can navigate there. Or if you haven't got either, then we've provided them on the screen for you. You know, in terms of context, these, these words are part of the, the farewell words of Jesus to his disciples. This was before he was arrested, charged wrongly, convicted unjustly, and sentenced to an excruciating death. Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure. And as Nick taught us last week, Jesus promised his Holy Spirit that he would send his Holy Spirit to be with us and to be in us. He wouldn't leave us as orphans. Jesus said that I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, 
you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You know, Jesus' Jesus' essential message in this allegory is this. It is just as much God's purpose for us to be fruitful as it is the function of a vine to produce grapes. It is just as much God's purpose for us to be fruitful as it is the function of a vine to produce grapes. So what what does it mean to abide in Jesus? Well, throughout the New Testament, we consistently read these two words, in Christ. They're used approximately 160 times, so they must be pretty important. To be a Christian is to be in Christ. In other words, to be united to Christ. To be personally, vitally, and organically related to him. To have Jesus Christ living in us. So to abide in Christ is to maintain and cultivate an already existing relationship. It is an attachment to Jesus. It is a receiving from Jesus. It is trusting in Jesus, remaining in fellowship with him, connecting to Jesus so that the life, his life, flows like a life-giving sap into our lives. You know, for us to abide in Jesus, Bishop J.C. Ryle put it like this, and I love this description. Abide in me. Cling to me. Stick fast to me. Live the life of close and intimate communion with me. Get nearer and nearer to me. Roll every burden on me. Cast your whole weight on me. Never let go your hold on me for a moment. You know, when I walk to work most mornings, I see this young couple who are truly, madly, and deeply in love. Walking hand in hand, smiling, hanging off every word the other says, and enjoying sweet fellowship. Young love. They appear to be inseparable. They never let go of their hold on each other's hands. They walk side by side every morning. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Wait till the breakup. However, this image of two people walking closely together is how Jesus wants us to walk with him. You know, contrary to that picture, I feel like most mornings, after a few moments in in the Bible or in prayer, if I manage to get to it that morning, I say, goodbye to Jesus. I rush out the door and to my oh-so-important and busy schedule. You know, seeing that couple might make some of you feel a bit... But it does remind me of the fellowship and intimacy that Jesus desires for us to have with him on a daily basis. So practically speaking, how do we abide in Jesus? You know, Jesus is very specific about what is flowing from the vine to the branches. It's his words. 
He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus is saying that there is one essential ingredient to abiding in him. Receiving, believing, trusting and cherishing his words. Jesus says in Matthew 4, For man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know, the scriptures of the Bible are not just the words of men, but the words of God penned by human authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And again in Deuteronomy 32, we read Moses' declaration to the Israelites about the importance of the words of God. Take to heart, he says, all the words I have solemnly declared to you today, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. The word of God is not just idle words. They're our life. And the word of God needs to flow like life-giving sap into our lives. But this is only possible as we let the word of God dwell in us richly. You know, as as a young Christian, as a new believer at the age of 20, I could not put this book down. Day and night, night and day, I was meditating on it. I was hungry for it. And it was in my heart. And as I've got older, and I have more responsibilities, and there's more activity, and there's a lot going on, I freely confess that from time to time I've neglected this book. And as I've neglected it, I've felt dry and lifeless. You see, the reality is that in the kingdom of God, there are no shortcuts. Scripture reading is an old-fashioned, time-honored means by which we grow in our walk with Jesus and experience his life. And we must make room for his word to dwell in our hearts daily and not treat it as an overnight guest like I have done. And so this morning, my prayer is that God would help us to each day spend time receiving his life through his word that is God-breathed and produces life in us. You know, Jesus promises that if his words abide in us, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. He gives us the assurance of answered prayer. Now, just to clarify, he's not here advocating health, wealth, and prosperity, as some seem to peddle from time to time. 
For in 1 John 5.14 we read, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, what we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. How do we know God's will? Is it some kind of mystical kind of idea out there in the cosmos? We know God's will by knowing his word. And as we delight in the word of God, as we meditate on it day and night, his desires become our desires. And as we ask in prayer, we're asking the things that God wants for us. What does God desire? What is his will? Well, if you've been with us for for any length of time, and if you've known the scriptures for any length of time, it is his desire that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That his desire is for those people that you interact with on a daily basis to know the love of Christ and to be reconciled to his Father. A prayer that God will always answer is God, make me useful for your kingdom to share the love of Christ with those people. How are we doing with praying for those three? You know, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And I can testify that today because I was once a long way from him. And I remember a teenage girl who shared about Jesus with me and how she had plucked up the courage to talk to me about Jesus. But at that time I said to her that I wasn't ready for that. And she shared it with her friend. And she said, would you pray? And they prayed. And three or four years later, I came to this church and she was gobsmacked. As she said to her friend, it will be a long and difficult road for Bryce to become a Christian. Living proof. Who are those people in your life who you think are so far away from God, who would never be interested? There is the assurance of answered prayer to send out laborers into his harvest field. And maybe you'll be the answer to that prayer. So what does it mean to bear fruit? Well, if we compare Scripture with Scripture, the grapes in God's vineyard were justice and righteousness. Whereas in the New Testament, the fruit of the Spirit is Christ-likeness. There's a little song we sing with our kids, and it goes like this. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. Fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Yes. Thank you very much. Josh, if you're listening on the podcast, sign me up for the worship team. You know, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is not something that we can produce. 
the fruit of the Spirit is Christ-likeness. And God has given us his Holy Spirit to enable us to fill his purpose. William Temple illustrates the point from Shakespeare in this way. It is no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. And it is no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like that. God's purpose is to make us more like Christ. And God's way is to fill us with his Holy Spirit. As the Bible Knowledge Commentary aptly sums it up, fruitfulness is the result of the son's life being reproduced in a disciple, a follower of Jesus. You know, the Bible speaks of other fruit. See, Christ-like character will result in right conduct. And as we live a life of good works, we produce fruit. Those who come to Christ through our witness are fruit. We may also bear fruit with our lips by praising God and thankfully confessing his name. And we bear fruit when we give financially to those in need or support Christian ministry for the sake of the gospel, that it might go out throughout the city, throughout this land, and throughout this world. You know, fruit doesn't exist for the branch. It's for the benefit of others to enjoy. And as we abide in Jesus, his life produces fruit in us, and people get to taste and see that God is good. And so we show that we are his followers, and the Father is glorified. You know, the wonderful thing about the vineyard is it's a reflection on the Father. As that fruit is produced, those good works, what did Jesus say? Let your light shine before all men that they might see your good deeds and praise you. No, praise your Father in heaven. And it's the Father's will that we produce much fruit. So how does God make us more fruitful as Christians? Jesus says every branch that does bear fruit, he, the Father, prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You know, in preparing for this message, I could not resist the urge to go and speak with the owner of Vineyard. So at short notice, I I turned up in Martinborough in search of a viticulturist to talk to. Is that the right viticulturist? Hey, Sarah. Aiden, that's how you say it right, isn't it? Um, I must have picked the worst day, though. The worst day. Because the cellar doors were closed, weren't they? Yes, they were. And the viticulturists, were they there in residence? No, they weren't. They were away that day. Or I turned up to a vineyard, and, oh, sorry, we've actually got a function for about 50 people that have turned up in about five minutes. <laughs> now, I, admittedly, I did find myself in Marderborough at short notice because I was, I was there for a meeting. So I know what you're thinking. Well, Bryce, you know, if you leave it to the last minute, not surprising. But... I was there at the last minute, and so anyway, I was just about to give up. I was just to give up the search, and um, as I was driving along, I saw the sign saying, Devotus, and a picture of a heart and a cross coming out of it. And I'm thinking, 
I'll give that a try. Well, it would be an understatement to say that the viticulturist Don was passionate about his vineyard and producing high-quality Pinot Noir grapes, which I'm told are notoriously hard to grow. They're called the heartbreak grape, and for good reason. Don and his wife Valerie, the owners, are devoted to Pinot Noir and to their two beautiful young boys. I explained why I wanted to talk with him, and he was, he was very accommodating. And he said, let's go, through, let's go for a walk through the vines and let's chat. I was like, come on. He showed me these mature vines, which were easily distinguishable from these younger ones. And that was due to their thick trunks. Then we walked down this row of younger vines, and he explained that in order for the vines to grow, they need, his words, tough love. Tough love. I asked him about the pruning process. He explained that the vines are cut right back, usually in autumn. And to the uninitiated, it looks extremely cruel. Sometimes only a stump is left, naked, jagged, scarred, and mutilated. But when spring and summer return, there is much fruit. The painful pruning tool has evidently been in safe hands. And you see, just as the vine dresser prunes the branches so that they may be even more fruitful, the Father prunes us that we might be fruitful. You know, in likening believers to branches in a vine, we all get pruned. And pruning may take the form of discipline because God wants to clean sin out of our lives. Alternatively, God may allow us to experience trials and sufferings. Knowing the Father's love and concern should change the way that we look at trials. The problems he permits are designed to develop us so that we can bear more fruit. He does it because he loves us. In Hebrews 12, 6, we read that the Lord disciplines those he loves. You know, do we look at trials and problems as pruning done by our loving vine dresser? Or do we lapse into self-pity, fear, complaining and brooding? Perhaps we feel God had good intentions, but now just doesn't know what he's doing. Or maybe, like me, you say, God, why me? You know, if we remember that God is trying to make us more fruitful, we can look past the pruning process to see the goal. Hebrews 12.7 encourages us to have a proper perspective on God's perfecting process. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? And in verse 10, the writer goes on to emphasize, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. The pruning process hurts. It's tough love. But the fruit, holiness, is well worth it. You know, as I've been preparing this message, I've been very conscious that for some of you here this morning, that you're doing it very tough. And that you're suffering in ways that I can't fathom or appreciate or understand. You need to know that I am not saying that God is disciplining you. 
for whatever reason, God may allow the things in our lives. I will never know. But when we're home, when we're home with him, these light and momentary troubles that the Bible says will pale into insignificance in the light of his glory and his grace and his welcome and his loving arms. And until that day, the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight and we trust him. We trust him. You know, when I look back on some of the most difficult times in my life, which may pale into insignificance compared to what some of you may be experiencing this morning, I wished that I never had to go through them. But you know, during those times, God has drawn me so close to him. And I found solace in songs of praise and songs of worship and one song that I listened to repeatedly during a difficult time in my life was a song by Michael W. Smith saying sovereign over us and here are some of the words of the song there is strength within the sorrow there is beauty in our tears and you meet us in our mourning with a love that casts out fear. You are working in our waiting. You're sanctifying us. When beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. And you're faithful forever. Perfect and love. You are sovereign over us. You know, this morning, you may be doing it tough. It may be a season of pruning. You may feel jagged or scarred or even mutilated. And it hurts. You wonder what God is doing. You may have responded as I have done with self-pity, fear, complaining and brooding. Pruning isn't pretty. It is not comfortable. It's painful. God may have his pruning tool on something in your heart. Know this morning that you have a loving Heavenly Father who is an expert vine dresser. He cares for you. He sees you. And when he has finished his work, he will produce a harvest in your life. You know, Jesus continues teaching his disciples and he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. 
For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. You know, of all the Christian virtues, the Bible says the greatest of these is love. Jesus calls us to love each other as he's loved us. And Jesus certainly practiced what he preached. Less than 24 hours after saying these words to his disciples, he did just that. He laid down his life. He was pruned. Not for his sin, but for our sin. He was stripped naked. He was left jagged, scarred, and mutilated on a Roman cross. And he did it for the joy set before him. He endured it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, because he knew that one day there would be countless millions of people like you and me who would gather here on a Sunday morning as people who have been purchased by his blood. We are his fruit because he was pruned for us. You know, this morning we're going to remember what Jesus did for us by taking communion. And I'd like to just invite the ushers to to come forward now and and they're just going to serve you communion. And just as they do, just I'd invite you to take take a piece of bread and the juice. If you love the Lord Jesus, if you know him, I'd invite you to take a piece of bread and the juice. Just as we're we're doing that, I'd I'd just love to pray for us. And then there's just one comment that I'd I'd like to make. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for this time that we can have now. That we can remember you. That these emblems speak of your amazing love for us. 
And Lord, may we have this time to be able to just abide with you and in you and to pour out our hearts to you, to remember that you love us with an amazing love, with an incredible love. You died in our place on that cross to take the punishment for our sin that we deserved because you love us. And you rose again and you ascended into heaven and you're coming back again. You're coming again to take us to be with you. You know, Jesus says to us that we're to love each other as he has loved us. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I fall so far short of that. So far short. And as Jerem and Simon and I were at a cafe preparing for this message and looking at this passage, Simon spoke these words which just really encapsulated the point. He said, to live like that, you've got to be loved like that. To love people like Jesus, we need to be loved like that. And this morning as we as we take these emblems, as you take them in your own time, have this time and space to be able to to abide with him. We're so busy. We get so busy, don't we? But to take that time to remember him and allow him to lavish and pour his love on you again.